All righty. That is our uh, annual powerhouse conference. It comes up at the end of July. It's the last weekend in July for every, uh, for every year for us. And so I want to talk a little bit around around Powerhouse Conference, but more, more importantly, I want us to sort of uh, zoom back and zoom out and talk around the power of a pilgrimage, the power of a pilgrimage. Uh, as a young child, for many years, I grew up in, the, in a, a, a country Victoria on a dairy farm in Victoria, and my parents were Christians, they'd been missionaries, and we, were, we would make an annual pilgrimage. The first week of January every year, we would uh, head from our place in country Victoria uh, up into New South Wales and up into the mountains just uh, near Sydney, into the Blue Mountains, for a conference that, ha- that featured uh, cutting-edge speakers from around the world. Uh, that was a phenomenal experience that people would come from all over Australia and New Zealand to pack out this conference venue. And I... I grew up with that annual pilgrimage. Now, I would go each year, and Danielle was actually, that was where she lived. Uh, that's where her mother and father were very involved in, in hospitality and hosting this conference. And so, uh, although I didn't get to know her, our paths were beginning to collide. Uh, I remember uh, just the atmosphere, and I, I would say as a child, I, I, got, I got spoiled with the presence of God. I got a taste for what it was like to be in the glorious presence of the Almighty, worshiping with passionate, hungry people. And, and I, you know, in those days, we would do kids' church in the morning, and at night, the kids would be in the, in the services. And so I remember as a nine, ten-year-old being there in worship and then eventually falling asleep under the chairs with a sleeping bag on the floor. The good old days. Who grew up falling asleep in church under the chairs? Come on, someone, you know what I'm talking about. And so we would do that, and, and there, would be, there would be signature moments, I'd remember. In those days, the band, it was a high stage, and the band weren't on the stage. They were over to the side of the stage. And so I loved it when I got to be on the side of the auditorium, looking and watching the band do their thing, and the drummer, and the, the flautist. We had a flautist. That's like a flute player. We got any flautists in the house here today? We go, hey, there we go, Beck. We've got some flautists. Fantastic. And I'd watch them do their thing. And I was, I was so enamored with the drummer that I, I went home and I, I bought, oh, well, I didn't buy a drum kit. I got the saucepans and the ice cream containers out. And I learned to, you know, and we'd, I'd get a tape. Okay, that's like just this thing. You'll, anyway, ask your parents. That, that we, I'd play this thing, a, a, a music, and I'd play along. And, and I was just, I was caught up with this experience of God and His presence. We would get big name preachers that God was using, voices that God was using from all around the world. I remember one particular year, a, a man by the name of Derek Prince, uh, who, who was kind of like the Mike Connell of his day, okay? He was renowned globally for healing and for deliverance and he would come and one specific night I remember uh, being sitting right up the back and there being a lineup of like literally a line down the, 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 um, the aisle of people waiting to get prayed for and they said let the, let the kids come up and there was kids all on the side because he was praying for legs to be lengthened and all these miracles were happening and my brother went up He's four years older than me, and particularly, he'd never, I'd been really sporty, but he'd never been really sporty. He, just, he, could, he couldn't run properly, he, couldn't, uh, he wasn't coordinated in ball sports, and we didn't particularly know why, but it turns out on that night that his leg was significantly shorter than the other, and when Derek Prince paid for, prayed for him, I don't know if one leg grew or one leg shrunk, I don't know if he got taller or shorter, but anyway, he, he, he grew, his leg grew out, and, he, and from that moment forward, he was transformed in terms of his physical 
physical ability. He began to win races. He, he, he represented regionally in sporting races and all sorts of things because he got healed. I remember that night going back and all of, I think what happened is that a lot of the conference uh, attenders hired out of backpackers and so my brother was in the, 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 the bunk above me and I just remember him being so in love with Jesus because he'd just been healed that he just spent the night praying in tongues. I don't want to lose this healing. Praying in tongues. These are, these are formative things that God impressed upon my heart about the power of God and the, the joy of being together. I remember I, w- I would go to kids' church for uh, or, or the kids' conference, and I remember that, that there'd be moments where the Holy Spirit would convict me as a little kid. And I do remember one specific moment being in my parents' car after a session, uh, weeping and, and just thinking because they'd just done a session about lying. Don't judge me. Come on, I know you. I know some of you as children. And, and I, I, was, I was being convicted about lying to my parents, to tell just little white lies, little things. And, and so the, the Holy Spirit, He was convicting my heart. Uh, formative things in my heart, preparing me and having encounters with God. I love it. I think, I think in those moments... I was prepared. We would sing a song as we would, we would get to this particular conference. Uh, and it came out of both Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. It's both these, both these scriptures. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. This is a prophecy about the church. The church is called the chief mountain, the mountain above all others, and it will be raised above the other hills. People from all over the world will stream there to worship. People will stream into church all around the world to worship God. It's a prophecy uh, years before Jesus came. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Like now, in, in the, these are the days when a scripture became a song. Okay, some of you might have been around in their 70s, okay, and and, and hymn books were were being replaced with chorus books. Who can remember that? Give me a wave. Okay, we've got some old timers here today. I'm I'm, I'm with you, all right. And so the hymn book went out and scripture in song came in, okay, and it was was like this move of God. And so we would sing this this scripture and it would go a little bit like this. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, unto the house of our God. And you'd you'd literally sing the whole scripture. He will Teach us his ways in the mountain of the Lord. People will come. Uh, he will, we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. And there was this sense for us of excitement every year as we made a pilgrimage. We'd, we'd load up in the car. I remember loading up in the old EH uh, station wagon. There'd be six of us and five seats and no seat belts were legal in those days. So we, we would rotate sleeping in the luggage in the back of the station wagon, okay? And so this is when that was, so, that was, that was PC then, all right? And so, so we would do it. You'd take turns. Do I get to sleep in the back in the luggage? And we would rotate and, and all, of, all of the fun part of a, a day and a half trek or drive for our farm. Our family leaving the farm. The idea of a pilgrimage didn't start in the 70s. The idea of a pilgrimage, uh, of going somewhere for a spiritual purpose, was actually something that God placed into the, the calendar and the lifestyle of His people Israel from the beginning of the day. When they, when they were released out of Egypt and, be, and became uh, given the law, God said this in Exodus 23 verse 14, Each year you must celebrate three festivals 
in my honor. And the, the festivals were, were feasts that had significance. They had significance in that time. There was, there was a range more festivals, but there were three specific feasts that God required the men and, and, used, and often their families, wherever they were in all of Israel, to load up and go to Jerusalem and to go to the, to the, the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. It was a pilgrimage. It, was, it wasn't a good idea. It was part of the, the structure, the calendar, and the law of expectation for God's people. Each one of them would, rep- would represent a particular season uh, in the life of the agricultural people because there were so many were farmers. So the first one was the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and it was, it was where they, they celebrated the Passover, the coming out of Egypt. It was a prophetic picture of Jesus dying on the cross so that we could come out of slavery. And so that was a seven-day feast or festival that they would have in Jerusalem at worshipping and, and praying and, and celebrating and eating and they just would have this amazing time. That was, that was the first one. The second one they would have 50 days later after the Passover. 50, the word uh, pent means 50. That's where we get the word Pentecost. That's what we celebrated last weekend, Pentecost. And it was, it was the beginning of the season of, uh, of harvest for wheat. And so at the beginning of harvest, they, they, there would be an expectation that, they, again, we'd load up, go to Jerusalem, not jump in the back of the EH, but j- grab the donkey if you're lucky, and walk to Jerusalem, and you'd celebrate this particular feast. And it was a prophetic picture of Pentecost, of the coming of the Holy Spirit for the church. And then the third feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this one, this was after Egypt, where they would literally live in, in tents or booths, and they'd come up to Jerusalem again, and they would remember that for 40 years, as God took them out of Egypt into their promised land, that they lived in tents for 40 years. If you visit a good Jewish person, even around Australia today, they will celebrate these feasts. Some will move out of their house and live in a tent. I watched a doco on one in Melbourne. They'd li- they live in a tent for seven days to remember the Feast of Tents or Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's part of their story. When they came for the first, the, the, each one, they would bring the first fruits of the particular harvest in that season. It took planning and preparation. And so they would, the, the, the Passover feast or the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would bring the first fruits of the barley harvest. They'd normally make it into loaves and they'd bring that. The, the Feast of Pentecost, they'd bring the wheat harvest. And the Tabernacles was the end of autumn. It was about six months later. And it would be the, the first fruits of the olive and grape harvest. And there was a, a real thinking and planning that went towards these massive parties. God's people knew how to party. It was awesome. They'd make provision. They'd bring... Uh, uh, required offerings of sheep and and bulls. And so this would be the thing. It's not just like, I I don't know about you, but sometimes you're like, wow, church is so far away. It's 20 minutes. You know, oh, I know some of our church members drive an hour to get to church and we feel, wow, that's a massive commitment. And it is in this modern day. And I celebrate everybody who drives a long way. But to go to Jerusalem three times a year was a significant thing if you lived around Israel. You could be at the north of Israel, 250 kilometers away. You could be down south, a long, long way away. And so the idea of going to Jerusalem for a festival with, with all of your first fruits and the, the sheep and, and the sacrifices and your family, it was a pilgrimage. It wasn't just a matter of a walk, it was an uphill walk. 
Jerusalem was, I've, I've driven up the, the roads to the top of Jerusalem. It's a steep, steep hill. It's two and a half thousand feet above sea level. It's, that's, that's a little higher than Toowoomba. So let's just imagine, I say, guys, we're going to Powerhouse Conference, and this year we're having it in Toowoomba, and we're going to walk there together. And I want you to load up, and that's, that's if we're quite close to Jerusalem. I mean, it could, it could be even further away. We could be going to Dolby, just to, you know, just to give some context of how far people would walk for a seven-day pilgrimage of worship, sacrifice, offering. And, and now, hey, here's the good news. I'll give you the good news. The good news is when Jesus came, the Holy Spirit is no longer restricted to a temple. It's not just one place that we have to travel to worship God. He now lives in your heart. When you're a Christian, God's Spirit lives in your heart. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to Jerusalem, praise God. We can have it every, wherever you go. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where we gather together, we're the house of God. That's the great news. But here's the thing I want us to understand. So much of the principles of what God did in the Old Testament, yes, they were prophetic signs towards uh, things that were going to happen. They were, they were pictures or types or shadows of what God was going to do in the future through Jesus. But there are also a principle behind them. And I want us to understand today the power and the principle of a pilgrimage. The reason I want to talk about this is I want us to prepare our hearts that in nine or ten weeks' time, we have an annual conference. And the reason we have an annual conference is not just to fill up the time and give Dan Bowman and Josh something to plan. There's a reason we have an annual conference. There's a reason that we, that we, we have this. You know, uh, th there were songs in Psalms that went with the, that went with the pilgrimage. Uh, Psalm 120 through to what Psalm 134 are called the Psalms of Ascent. Let's go deeper in the Word for a moment. They're the Psalms of Ascent. These 15 Psalms were the Psalms that would be sung by all the pilgrims as they made their one, two, three, four-day walking journey to Jerusalem. And they'd sing things like in, in uh, Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. And I was glad. And they would sing these songs together as they ascended. And all of the Psalms of 120 to 134, have a look at them later. They're called the Psalms of Ascent, the pilgrimage Psalms. In the first couple of years of becoming the senior pastors of this church, uh, Danielle and I pretty, pretty quickly decided let's have an annual conference. We'd been shaped by our youth and our childhood of the power of what conferences would do. Uh, we'd been benefited together as a married couple traveling to Sydney each year for a conference called Ausfire and then became presents that Pastor Phil Pringle would put together. Initially, it started in their, in their own church and it grew and eventually was meeting in the, uh, in the International Center in the middle of Sydney. And we would go and because of what God was doing in our lives through these pilgrimage, these moments, because of what was happening in our children's life, we're like, we want to have a conference for our church. We want to have a conference for our church. We want to have this experience. And we began at the end of January every year, a conference, we called it launch. You're going to launch the year off uh, at the end of the year. Who can remember one of our launch conferences? We've got some people who are here there. Awesome. 
And after a, after a number of years, we felt the shift and we moved it to the end of July and we changed the name to Powerhouse Conference. It was kind of a precursor to the, 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 the church name change for us. And, and we've been doing that ever since. The end of July is our Powerhouse Conference. There are three things that I want to talk about this morning that, that happen and tend to happen more likely, not just only, but most likely in a conference environment where people have set their hearts on a pilgrimage. They've set some time aside. I, I don't want to get a week out and, and go, and you go, oh, I forgot about that. I didn't know it was coming. Oh, someone didn't remember. I, I, I want to take a morning this morning so you understand the vision of why we have a powerhouse conference. And at the same moment, I want you to know that prophetically, I believe that this year is a changing of the guard kind of conference for us. This is a, there's a different emphasis, I feel like, for us this year. The first thing that I believe happens in conference environments, that's where you have a few days together in the presence of God. That's where you have lots of worship. That's where you get key voices from around the world that God's using. And we look to get people who have got a strong sense of prophetic or power or supernatural that God's using to come and build. That's why it's Powerhouse Conference. We want people to build on what God's doing here in our midst. And so we bring in people like Russell Evans, who's got a, a movement and a, a move of God in terms of young people and, and using all around the world. Someone like Darlene Check, who's a celebrated uh, God's used internationally. We bring them in. The first thing I believe that happens is seeds of destiny are sown. Seeds of destiny are sown. I believe that there'll be that many of you would look back on some of the conferences we've had and you'll remember a moment. You remember a message that changed your thinking, that messed with your brain. You'll remember when you cried those ugly tears on the altar, you, when it all just came out as God took you out of one season and you were messed up and he messed you up with the new season. Come on, some of you know, you've got to always bring handkerchiefs or tissues to conference time. For me as a kid, seeds of destiny were sown in that annual conference I talked about earlier. You see, there was this wonderful couple, they were originally Kiwis, uh, they were in their early 20s, and they were, I know, thank you Kiwis, they were, they were in their early 20s, and they, were, they would both lead the kids program, and also he would lead the worship at night in the, in the big meetings. Be like, a, be like an Isaac Childs kind of person. And he would lead worship. And, and, and you know, he was, like, he was tall and thin. And, and it, was, it was fun and vibrant. And, and he would get up and lead. He'd, he'd lead with a banjo. Now, some of you just went straight to deliverance. I'm not talking about bang, bang, bang. I'm it, was, it was cutting edge at that moment. All right. It was, God was moving as we were moving from organs and to banjos. Okay. We weren't yet in the lead guitar season of church, but we were in the banjo season. He would lead and play. And, and, and they would lead kids' church. I remember as a seven-year-old that she prayed for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues for the first time. I believe Danielle probably was in similar periods of time being prayed for and speaking in tongues, although we did not yet know one another. Uh, although at 15 we served in that conference together and then sparks began to fly. And then, I mean, she couldn't keep her hands off. Anyway, I don't know what's going on. No, she could only dream at that point. All right, so... Amazing things happen when you serve God together. Just, just saying, just watch out what can happen, especially in kids, praise God. And so they would lead, and, and I was so enamored by, by this couple. And, and here's one of the ways that God uh, sows seed into your life. He shows you a touch, a taste of the future. 
He shows you some heroes, some, some people to be like. And so I was watching. I went home, and because he played a banjo, I went home with one tape, with one worship session, with this guy leading worship, and I bought a mini banjo. It's called a banjo mandolin. And I would pray it, and I would sing along, and I would do the exhorting that the worship leader does. I would tell the same jokes. I had it memorized, okay, as I played along because I was so caught with what God was doing through this particular person. Isaac, this is, not a, this is not a scary thought, but I reckon that's what's happening right now. I reckon some kids will watch you worship and go, I love what that guy's doing. And I want to be like Isaac. And they'll grow their hair out long. You know, look out. Here we go. And so I did not know while these seeds were being sown of destiny in my life, I had no idea that 20 years later that that couple would move to the Sunshine Coast to start a church. Some of you know this. I did not know that this couple, Graham and Pat Fletcher, would one day start in 1992 Way of the Sea Christian Church, which went on to become C3 Powerhouse. I didn't know that seeds of destiny in a little conference were being sown. I didn't know that, that years later I would be in Victoria and they would drive around on a sabbatical and just in a five-second moment look at me and say, we're starting a church on the coast. Why don't you come and be, run the youth in our church? I didn't know that God was weaving his story and my story together. But when you have a pilgrimage, when you have some time set aside to worship and hear messages and serve and love God, it's seeds of destiny are sown. You're way more open in a conference environment because you've made it a focus. You've taken work off. You've, you've got your kids off school in the afternoon, just quietly. You've, you've, you've brought them into, into the house of God. But there's something happens. I believe that that's what's going to happen for many people. I've seen it time and time again. It's like people catapult from one zone into another. It's, it's like they've been walking along like this, or maybe one step, two steps forward, one step back. One, two, three, forward, then, then one step back. But I, what happens in this kind of atmosphere is God catapults people into a new day. If there's faith for it, if there's anticipation for it, that's why we'll be doing a 21-day fast throughout July because it's, it's going to be a game changer. I'm telling you, seeds of destiny are sown. What else happens when we have these kind of experiences? Signs and wonders happen. Miracles happen, like my brother being healed in a moment. And the reason it happens, I mean, healings happen every week. God doesn't need a conference to heal people. But there is a dynamic that happens. The problem's not with God. The problem is so often with us because we've got such distracted uh, ideas and our heads are full of lots of different things. But, but when you gather and worship, and we tasted it last weekend with Three Nights of Fire, the, the last night, the, the build of atmosphere and worship of people who are making the sacrifice to be in God's presence, it was electric. When the atmosphere of God is strong, there is, there's just moments. And I, I've seen it uh, here in our conferences where people with, with literally with tumors and cysts in their body uh, just shrink in the meeting. I've seen it where people who had deaf ears open in the meeting. And you're like, why doesn't that happen every Sunday? Well, it's an atmosphere that gets built. And then faith gets built. And, and then what happens is you break through a ceiling. And then that becomes the new normal for you. Because you set your faith to break through things in this moment. And we break through together. And then that's the new normal. That's, what, that's why we focus towards it. Signs and wonders will happen. We, we build faith. The, the third thing that will happen is significant moments. Like significant moments. Uh, 
so much of what we do uh, in terms of church life is about creating moments. Moments that can change your, your pathway. Moments that can shift you from out from under something that's been harassing you, weighing you down, and we set it up for moments. Moments where, and we call them mountaintop moments. Often it's an uphill battle to get to mountaintop moments. There's no elevator in Jerusalem. There's no escalator that you go up the escalator. It's, there, there is a sense, and I know this because the devil knows the power of these kinds of gatherings. Normally the most spiritual warfare that happens in my life, two times a year. One where we, we ask everybody to pray about giving to the future and the vision of our church, which we'll be doing next month. There's always warfare because that's about taking ground in the spirit realm. But the other time of the most warfare, the most oppression and opposition that people will feel is when we're having conference and th people are going to break through. That's why we're, we're setting ourselves in fasting and prayer for 21 days before our conference. Because when you get to the top of the mountain, there's a, a view that you get. We climbed Mount Nindri just recently, Danielle and I. We went up to the top and, and, and with my glasses, it was awesome. You can actually see a long way. And we got to the top and we're looking out over the coast, back into the coast of the hinterland and we're looking out to the ocean and then we're looking to the mountains all around and the, the, the view from the top is stunning. And you need mountaintop experiences in your Christian life. You need moments that break you out of the normal. You need, uh, we need, we need moments that get us out of the drudgery of everyday life, the grind of week to week. We need moments that get us up and in the moment, because a prophetic atmosphere is built. And so in a moment when a prophetic atmosphere is built, not only does God take a message and go, this one's for you, bam. But then he just has a habit of preaching his own messages to you while, while you're in the middle of, a, of, of the service. A few years ago, I was sitting in one of these kind of pilgrimage conference moments in Sydney. Uh, a preacher called Jensen Franklin was preaching. He's preaching about being open to God, and I've told this story before, but as he began to preach a story of how God uh, opened up a, a, a church for him to take over in, Atlanta, in uh, uh, California, and he was in Atlanta, and he was given a building, all this series of miracles, he's preaching a sermon and I'm sitting over there in my seat with the feeling of the weight and presence of God coming down upon me. And what's happening is there's two sermons being preached. There's the sermon that Jensen Franklin's preaching that's creating a prophetic atmosphere for people to have faith. This is what happens when you get to the top of the mountain. You can see a lot further and God can go, this is what's coming up for you. You couldn't see it when you're in the middle of it. But when he gets you to the top, he goes, this is where I want to take you in the next season. This is what I've got for you. And so Jensen Franklin's preaching, be open to God. And I was given an airplane and I was given a building and God did this. It was this amazing message. And I'm sitting there. And I just start to weep as God, because we, we have a vision to plant 10 churches as a church. Over, over the next 20 years. And in my mind, Danielle and I have always thought Melbourne would be one of those, but probably number five or six. And as he's preaching, God's just like, Melbourne's next. You're going to go to Melbourne. I'm gonna, there's going to be miracle provision. I'm hearing him talk about miracle provision. There's going to be miracle provision. He said some other things that, that happened. I'm like, okay. And it's like, he's like, that's you, that's you, that's you. And this double message 
meeting was going on. Was God saying the same to everybody else? No, because that's the Holy Ghost. You get an atmosphere that's prophetic, an atmosphere where God's alive, an atmosphere where people have paid a price to get their heart right before God and, and uh, pay, pay, paid the price of taking time off and setting and serving. Here's the thing. I know people, we have so many people who serve at our conferences in our church week in, week out. Can I say thank you? People who will literally take time off to serve in kids or youth ministry, but all it takes is one moment. On top of a mountaintop, one meeting that you're in while you've been serving, and God's like, it's my download for you. And you've got the next five years because you saw it on the mountaintop, and then you've got to walk it through. So out of that, we've planted our church in Melbourne. It's crazy. It's going awesome. People week in, week out, new people coming. There's ridiculous favor and money there's some behind the scenes things happening that are really exciting right now just good things are going on significant moments will happen for you destiny shaping moments breakthrough moments prodigals coming back to god kind of moments miracle kind of moments that's why we set our faith and expectation I believe that this year, because really for the last 20 years, we've run this conference for our church. It's been, let's do this, bring in key voices so that members of our church can have all those things I've just talked about, plus more. Times of refreshing, going deeper in God, so, so many things. Uh, this last couple of years, the Lord's been speaking to us about opening this, our conference up, not just for us, but for, for Christians Christians from wherever they come, to come, to be inspired, to catch something from God and to go back to their own church and to take it, for pastors to come in. And so that's part of what I believe is the next phase for this conference for us. And I'm asking that you would, as, a, as members of our church, if you're a member of our church, that you would just grab a hold of what is an apostolic vision. An apostolic vision means to break through something for others. And I believe God's called us as a church to break through barriers so that others can come and go, okay, awesome. If, they can, if God can do it at C3 Powerhouse, He can do it in my church. If He can do it in that person's life, He can do it in my life. And there's an expanding vision that I believe is God that we're going to, it's like a page turner this year. So I just, I want us to prepare ourselves to set our hearts for this. So can we close our eyes right now? We come to a close. The power of a pilgrimage. For some of you, I want you today to make a decision. Make a, a date with God. The 29th to the 31st of July, I'm setting it aside. To have encounters with God. I'm just setting it aside. I'm going to start to build faith that God will do something incredible in that time in my life, in our church's life, and beyond our church. Father, I pray today, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through this conference, we just set our focus nine weeks out. Let there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. 
Let there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. God bless you. I'm actually back tonight. I have a uh, growing sense of just the fire and the power of God moving in our church. So tonight we're going to go for it. God bless you. Thank you, Josh.